0: check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium, and of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids.
1: Hi. Hi. Hello.
0: Enjoy the show. I'm so honored to have interviewed the legendary author Sandra Cisneros about her latest book, Martita, I Remember You. And in Spanish, Martita, Te Recuerdo. Sorry, I don't speak Spanish. Sandra is a poet, short story writer, novelist, essayist, performer, and artist whose work explores the lives of the working class. Her numerous awards include NEA fellowships in both poetry and fiction, a MacArthur fellowship, several honorary doctorates, and national and international book awards, including Chicago's Fifth Star Award, the Pan America Literary Award, and the National Medal of Arts. Most recently, she received the Ford Foundation's Art of Change Fellowship, was recognized among the Frederick Douglass 200 and won the Penn Nabokov Award for Achievement in International Literature. In addition to her writing, Cisneros has fostered the careers of many aspiring and emerging writers through two nonprofits she founded, the Macondo Foundation and the Alfredo Cisneros del Moral Foundation. She is also the organizer of Los Macarturos, Latino MacArthur Fellows, who are community activists. And now I think I should go back to school for Spanish because French seems to have been a complete waste. Sandra, I am so honored to be talking to you today. For Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm finally here. You're finally here. Yay. (laughs) Well, congratulations on Martita I Remember You, a story in English and Spanish, which conveniently, I'm showing this on the screen, comes both ways in English and Spanish in different sides, which was beautiful. So thank you for this beautiful story. And I'm just so excited to talk to you about your career and everything. But first, could you tell listeners a little bit about why this story? Why now? Well, because I had it stashed away like a favorite (laughs) dress that you want to wear
3: one day you always know that dress is in the closet I've never worn it and I had to finish it so it was something that I started early 90s when I was closer to the experience that I had lived that that started the story and the people that inspired it and uh, it was way back when I did a story collection called woman hollering creek this was supposed to be one of the stories but I i didn't finish it, or I handed it in with just the the first portion. None of the Chicago portion was there. And my editor said, "Uh, this is not done. I thought, well, okay, I'll put it away. And I always meant to go back to it. I just got busy with life, you know, that's how it is. It happens.
0: <laughs> so you dug it out and finished it up and now here it is. Beautiful. Did it always have I know that a lot of this is dialogue, but a lot of it is also in letter form. And so you you sort of weave in the epistolary. Is was that the way you had always envisioned it, or is that something a new wrinkle you've added?
3: Yeah, you know, and the original story was just the first part and it ends with the first part in the middle section with the letters and the end wasn't there. And uh, I just thought that was enough. It was wasn't, and I had to build a frame around it. You know the character, the, the protagonist. She's uh, scraping the wood, the the varnish off woodwork. Yes, and a lot of the apartments have that hutch, and I have scraped that woodwork. So I know I I don't know how I remembered that, but I put that in there. So that became like the frame, the bookend of the story. That was not something that. Was there originally, nor did I know it was going to be there. You know, I take little pieces of my life. You know, I remember something that happened to me when I was 25 and something when I was 28 and something yesterday and something happened to you. And I kind of put them like like building a little puzzle, like whatever will fit and make the story believable. That's how I write. I write in little what I call little buttons and I write the little buttons sometimes two people say, you know, a couple of phrases. That's all I have. I don't know who's speaking, or a little memory or smell, uh, sensory details, and I saved them and put them together.
0: Wow. I read in your memoir about when you were writing House on Mango Street, and everybody was asking if it was about you, and you wrote a whole essay about, it. well, is it me, or yes and no, right? It's about me, and there are things about me and my family and the people in the community, so is it me? It is, and it isn't. Well, you about all the stories that you're
3: witness to in one day, the things people tell you, the things you see on the way to work, the things that you remember, all of these things are part of you because you're a witness. Some of them happen to you, and some of them happen to bounce into your heart and stay there. Some of them just lodge themselves in your heart. When someone tells you a story, you can't forget it. Those are the things I write about. I try to focus on the things I wish I could forget because I know that they're debilitating. (laughs) (laughs) Want to be released, you know, like that song, please release me, let me... (laughs) A lot of those in my my heart catalog. And I just write them because I just want to stop thinking about them, even if there's something silly and small, you know, I, I just want to get them out. So that's what I do. So
0: stories are essentially your exorcism.
3: Yes, that's or my limpia, my cleansing, because cleansing. they're transformational. you know, to write for me is, is my way of of reducing stress in my life and making me understand things that happen to me and why I why they stay with me. And in essence, writing for me
0: is really good medicine. I agree. It's basically the best way. I don't know if like without this tool in my toolbox, I don't know how I would ever sort of make sense of my life. I
3: know that periods that I have not had the writing, even just writing a little button, because I know moms are busy, but if you just write a little button, You know, one sentence that helps me to get clarity about something that happened, something that's haunting me or something that I want to savor. So sometimes it's not that you want to extirpate it from your life. Sometimes that you want to savor something nice that happened to you or something nice that someone said or that you witnessed that was positive. It doesn't have to be uh, negative. It could be neutral, too. But it's about like a sitting. It's like a sitting meditation. Mm-hmm. And I wrote House on Mango Street when I was the busiest. I was teaching high school dropouts, but I would write a little button, you know, just a paragraph or two and save them up and put them together. And that's how that book got written.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And you also feel just as passionately about reading. I read In a House of My Own. I'm going to mispronounce this. The, the chapter is titled Merke Rodereda. Is that right? Is that centered? Merce? You wrote, I often remember where I was when meeting a book that sweeps me off my feet. I remember the moment and the intimate sensation of devouring a beloved text as distinctly as I recall the most sensual encounters of my life. Is it like this for everyone or is it like this... Only for those who work with words. I want to believe everyone falls in love with a book in much the same way. One falls in love with a person that one has an intimate personal exchange, a mystical exchange, as spiritual and charged as the figure eight, meaning infinity. Oh, I just yeah. love that. I just love that. Oh. I feel exactly the same way. I just loved it. Oh, I love it. I love when I meet other people that are crazy about words. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I have a memoir coming out, and like this is my whole thing—is like where I was when I read books. Because I also, when I see them, I remember like where I was, not just headspace, but physically a lot of the time, or like where I carried you know, it. What I was carrying. Do you remember like details of your clothes? And yeah, I
3: remember crazy things. And I think does everybody remember? And what do you do with all that flotsam and jetsam? Right. I know. What's the, what's the name of your memoir?
0: It's called Bookends, A Memoir of Love, Loss, and Literature. It's coming out this summer. Oh, love it. Great title. Thank Look you. Look forward. I'll send it to you. <laughs> no, I, I don't really remember as much what I'm wearing because I, I, I don't know. My brain never thinks about that. But I do remember how I felt or where I was when I cried while reading it or you know something that moved me about it. And I feel like just like touching and seeing it all the time, then it like comes back in little snippets, but you're right. Flotsam and jetsam. I mean, I keep worrying I'm going to run out of room. Like, where does it go?
3: I know. Like, what do we do with all this stuff? Like I've been lately because I'm going to turn 67 in a couple of weeks. I've been thinking like, you know, you haven't written about that. And I'm one of those people that if you know me and you tell me a story, I'll say have you written about that? I'm always reminding other people what they should write about. But lately I've been asking myself, did I write about, I need to write about that. So i made a whole list, write about, and then there's just so much. And even if I got put in prison for the rest of my life, I wouldn't have enough time to get it all down. So I, I just hope that I have a good health because we want to honor all the people we've met, the people that have brushed past us, the people that are in our lives and people we just glimpse in a second. You know, there's so much that that enriches our lives, even if they're exploding cigars. Sometimes those are the things that teach us the most. And we need to examine them to understand this thing called our life. And I hope by the time we get to the end of our lives, you know, that we're wiser and more brilliant and better human beings.
0: So what's one thing on your list that you're going to write about? Oh, I just have, I just write so many. There was this girl that I went to
3: school with in seventh grade. I wrote a poem about her in my first book of poetry. And I just talked about this at the Miami Book Fair. She used to eat Reese's peanut butter cups in class and sneak them and go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and that, but, but she was not very popular. She was kind of gordita, a little chubby. And she had, like, shiny acne, shiny face and acne. And to the mass. You know, but I liked her. I thought I could see her inner talent, and uh, she always would eat these Reese's peanut butter cups when she had her period. Because she was in seventh grade and she already was a woman, whereas I was like a little boy and I sat next to her. So I always associated like the smell of Reese's peanut butter cups ever after with my period. And when I finally got my period, I had to run out and buy Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> yes. I always, well, I pick up tampons, pick up Reese's Peanut Butter
0: <laughs> Yes, you're right. You definitely have to write that down. That's hilarious. But I have nose and I think I have
3: like this, the power of a bloodhound to like s- capture scents. So that's that's in my writing a lot. And I think as writers, want to be writers, I always tell them focus on smell because that can, that's the ancestral and scientifically proven to
0: bring back the past. So I, I try to focus on smell. Sense, I feel like I had COVID a year, almost a year ago, and I feel like my smell is still not one hundred percent back. Oh, that's that. Yeah. I know. I think it's close, like taste and smell, but they're not like a hundred percent. Like everybody else is like, oh, gosh, do you smell? You know. Then it just takes me that extra little bit. I'm like, well, now finally I do. But you know, maybe you need to practice. Like get a big little bin of cinnamon, and yeah. you know else. <laughs> I'll put that on the calendar. Cinnamon inhalation, you know, yeah, (laughs) smell sharpening session. (laughs) I'll send you a picture with my nose in a jar. (laughs) Do that with students to wake up their their
3: senses of their five senses and their writing. And I would bring things for them to touch or smell. And I, you know, those little children, they had cinnamon at home, but everybody wanted to smell the little box with the cinnamon. They did. I guess it was very pleasant for them. Of course, cinnamon appeared in all their poems.
0: Interesting. I love that. No, it's true. I mean, I think that's part of what makes your writing so vivid. And I was actually curious. I know I keep talking about, I'm sort of like obsessed with your memoir and essays and everything in addition to this beautiful new story. But I was interested in the fact that you included so many photos because your words already are painting such a picture, right? It's already so vivid what you're saying. Why the photos?
3: You mean the visual photos? Yeah. I think that's how I I view the world through images. And I I could have been and should have been maybe a visual artist. I I get along and have friends who are visual artists and I understand them and their work. And I always think of that as the road not taken. If I hadn't been a writer, I would have liked to have done something with like textiles Mm -hmm. or fashion, clothing, textile. I'm very fascinated with, people who work with clothing and textiles and design and maybe because my father was an upholsterer and he brought home scraps of fabric just like in the book so I had wonderful beautiful fabric from France and England and you know the best because my father worked with high-end interior decorators and he would bring the little scraps for my mom to make dresses for my barbie dolls and so I got used to having really beautiful textiles at a very young age and loving their colors, and uh, and and originally, you know, when we're writers, we all start as artists. We draw before we go into language. So that has stayed with me. It's something that I still love, and I still sketch. And my my book, *Pura Amor, chapbook has my illustrations of my pets and pets of my friends. I still long and wish I had an, enough time to start another career. You know, I would love to. I love those shows where people design clothing. You know, I like those. And I just feel like I have the visual in me, the, the, the
0: visual passion. And maybe that's why you see it on the, in the story. Interesting. Well, I mean, you think it's too late? If I have time to stick my nose in a box of cinnamon, maybe <laughs> you have time to just spend well, like I, an hour a week on, on making right. clothing.
3: Full disclosure, full disclosure, my friend Nancy Trow got from Home Frocks in Santa Fe. She and I have a project that got delayed or, or detoured. By COVID, and we were working on a text and textile project where her clothing line would have some lines of poetry, and I. And so I have handkerchiefs and children's dresses and pillowcases with words, stories that I get other people to embroider because I can't even sew a button. But you know, this concept of doing a show with text and textile and collaborating is something that's been put on hold. But I still want to explore know, where we would display that, where that would be, yeah. you know, exhibit. Don't exhibit, you should sell it. Well, no, this is the problem. When I find a beautiful vintage piece and I write on it, I give it to her. And it's one of the pieces in her shop in Santa Fe that is, most everyone wants to buy it. But yeah. the thing I make is not for sale. You know, for me, it's like, why would I want to sell that? It's one of a kind. Why don't you buy my books instead?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, I, I think because what you're creating is so, I mean, the uniqueness of it, I think people want to share in that well, self-expression. See what we can do so that I
3: can satisfy my need to keep yeah. it. We can photograph these items and mm-hmm. put them in a the book, you know, so that you could see the stories. They're on, they're on the clothing. They'll be like a wash towel and it'll be about my mother and how yes. she is wash clothes until her hands blistered and she had an allergy because of the soap. And I'll buy these little vintage towels that, you know, she taught me how to rummage and buy old textiles. So there's stories on the cloth. And I, my idea was to hang them up with clips and, you know, display them somewhere, but maybe we can document them and photograph them and make a little, a little book. I that, love would be nice. that. that would be great. Okay. You planted that seed about a book in my head. Okay. You're going to do it. I'm so excited about it. it ends here with a thought. That's how I made my reality happen. I was in fifth or sixth grade when I visualized that a book on the shelf in the library with my name on it. And I tell young people, this is where everything happens. Everything begins with a thought. You don't have to tell anyone, but you have to hold it there and walk towards it every day.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Wow. Well, I'm so excited you have now another button to put on your to-do list. <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, it also sounds like you're such an inspiring teacher. Um, I don't like teaching too much because I want to work on my own thing. So
3: I've kind of retired from that. I only teach it I used to, once in a while at Macondo, the writing workshop I started, which people can apply to. I don't appear there anymore. I'm just the founder because I feel like now at 66, I need to focus on my own writing because I don't know how much time I have left before my Uber driver honks the horn and says, let's go. Yes. So I got to focus.
0: <laughs> on my that, is, that is really elevating Uber drivers here to a quite an, a, a spiritual realm. <laughs> well,
3: they're honking all over the place around us with COVID. So we have to be very, very conscious and grateful and filled with an awareness of the temporality of our times and the fragility of our lives. And, you know, work on something like it's the last day on your life because sometimes it is.
0: I totally agree with that. And I constantly feel like I'm fighting against time. Like I const every day I'm like, oh gosh, I hope I get to finish this. I hope I get to finish that. You know, what if I, what if? You feel like you're a bad person if you haven't done
3: something creative. Like if you've only done like balancing checkbook or something at like, you know, something domestic and you hadn't done anything creative, don't you feel like a bad person when you go to bed and think, what did I do today? Oh, I yeah. answered. Oh, I unpacked. Oh, I
0: cleaned the kitchen, but nothing creative. What oh, a bad human being. I am <laughs> <laughs> oh, I maybe I'm not I am very self-punitive, but maybe not in the exact same way. I feel like it's more on those days, those are the days when I say, Oh, I didn't get anything done. And yeah. you know, my husband will say something like, What do you mean? Like you were working out, you know. I'm like, no. And I think that's what it is. It's that like, what did you do? What did you put down in the world or what did what happened? What did you create? Because you know, we're mothering art. We're mothering
3: art. I always talk about my books as being my children, you know. And I know what it is to be a mother because I was the nanny for my my niece for the second, third, and fourth month of her life. So I know how busy moms are, and it's exactly like that when you're a writer too, because you have your life is pulling you in different ways. If you can just write one little button, yeah. it will vindicate your day.
0: You can go to bed, peace and think you did something positive in the universe. And yet you have to balance actually getting new inputs from all of your experiences, right? You can't just like lock yourself in a room. You gotta be out and about. Oh, is And I've been doing this on my phone is I
3: write a list of things I must write about, you know? So they're just little notes that are buttons for buttons. They're not even a button, they're about a button. <laughs> about, you know, the, the girl with chocolates and her period, you know, the little things like that, that I remember. And uh, so I don't lose them because in one day we may have 15 or 15 million ideas, but you just got to document enough so that you'll remind you when you sit at your desk, you don't wait to get inspired. Mm-hmm. You go the button jar and you pick out something and you write the one that's going to take off.
0: Oh, maybe as part of your book on textiles, you should have a jar of buttons.
3: Well, I have a, a an essay called writing my pajamas. That's another unfinished project about like things I share with younger writers about writing tips so that's another unfinished manuscript
0: nice I think you should like get multicolor buttons and you can (laughs) explain your whole button theory and you could have it
3: you know yeah oh I think collected works is going to be blurbs I think I'm the one who writes (laughs) blurbs than any other writer in the universe wow (laughs) do
0: you read all the books yeah I do Uh uh-huh what are some of your go-to, your favorite books or something, or if that's too hard, just something recently that's really moved you? Oh, I read this book called Gordo.
3: And I always forget Jaime Cortez, I think is the writer. Gordo, it's a short stories about memories growing up as a migrant child. And they're so sad and funny because nothing can be funny unless it's sad and nothing can be sad unless it's funny. You know, to make a really great story, you have to have both. And that book is, you know, I, Blurbed it and it's on my bedside, so I can read it again. And I just, um, I also blurbed a book called uh, American Bastard by the poet Jan Beatty. And I just finished rereading that one again because, you know, she writes like a poet because she is a poet. So that's really great. And then I'm reading Baggage by Alan Cumming, a memoir, uh, kind of follow up to, to his first memoir, Not My Father's Son. And that's really great too. So those are all things among tens of thousands of books that are all clamoring around my bed for attention.
0: Wow. In your memoir, you had one line that said, I guess it was some introduction you were writing and you said, I'm the only girl with seven brothers growing up in my house, right? Six, I'm sorry, six brothers. You were one of seven. And you said, that's all you need to know about you. (laughs) Is that (laughs) why? Tell me about that. All oh, I need to know, because
3: everything goes back to my six brothers. They're like in my head. You know, when you grow up with boys, they always make fun of you. You know, why are you wearing? Why are you wearing trenzas? Why are you wearing braids? What are those ugly glasses? They just make you whittle you down to nothing. And they're in my head, like when I write. That's a terrible line. Why did you think that was going to be good? I oh, know you got to go back and rewrite that. That's trashy. You're terrible. You're nothing. You know, they're like in my head. And they have no idea that I've incorporated them as my personal editors. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, I guess I need therapy, right? (laughs) (laughs) And therapy is great if you can. You know, I've gone through depressions when I haven't been writing. So I strongly recommend go to seek a therapist because it's like getting a professional story listener you know, when you're right, you're, you have the the page as being your listener, but sometimes you need someone to to be your bruja, your, your shaman, uh, your guide. So.
0: Wait, where did I hear, someone recently told me on this podcast, now I'm going to forget who it was, that they were talking, they were talking to a friend of theirs, he was a therapist, and they said that, you know, I just think that, everyone has the most interesting interior life and like what goes on in people's brains. Like everyone has these just amazing stories. And I guess the therapist said back to this person, not true. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in therapy, sometimes I had nothing to say. So I would just
3: talk stupid, stupidities. And I always thought, Hmm, I wonder if my therapist thinks this is a brilliant writer. And she's telling me about the last episode of sex in the city. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I once, like, I I saw this therapist a long time ago and I was sitting in the waiting room and she was running late, which she never used to do. And the door finally opened and out walked this widow, a young widow of a very famous man who had just famously, like, passed away. It was all over the news right then. And she walked out and I was like, oh, my gosh. And I went in and sat down and I was like, actually, I'm fine. Like... I have no, how can I compete? How can I have, how can I compete with that? Like I, 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 everything is good. I think I should just leave.
3: <laughs> when I was a kid, sometimes we had to go to confession in Catholic school and I didn't have enough sins. So I would make some up, you know, just to <laughs> say, I'd be nice to the priest. Well, I'll think of a couple of extra, you know, and I got in that position with the therapist that I had to think of a good story something to entertain her, you know? I think that's how you get when you're a writer. You feel like you got to always be like on and you've got to perform and you have to please others. And that's when you know you need
0: therapy, right? (laughs) Maybe, or you just, you know, go about your day and make lots of other people really happy. (laughs) I need to write about (laughs) that. oh my gosh yes this endless list of things to write about i also do that with other people too by the way i'm always like oh that would be a great story that would be a great story that's a good
3: story when someone else seeds the conversation and gives you the gift of listening and silence absolute silence they're hanging on your words that to me is a good story. And, you know, I grew up in a house with everyone speaking at the same time, nine people all talking at the same time, radios on, televisions on. So when you could say something that would shut everyone else up in the house and they'd listen to you, that to me was like a sign, oh, power and storytelling. I've said something that's funny or that's captured their attention. I think that trained me to become a storyteller. Interesting.
0: Interesting. Well, I guess then there's hope for one of my four kids because it's often, you know, one time I was like so sick of everybody cutting each other off all the time at dinner. I was like, okay, you have to be holding this slice of red pepper. I'm <laughs> going to pass it like a microphone around the table. And you cannot talk if you are not holding onto this pepper. <laughs> that lasted oh, for like one minute.
3: Maybe there'll be playwrights, you know, and, and, or filmmakers and create all the dialog mishmashing into each other. You hope. <laughs> I hope. I hope.
0: Yes. Phew. Oh my goodness. Well, Sandra, this has been so much fun. I
3: have so That Liliana Valenzuela translated my book and she's brilliant and she's been my translator since since I met her in the early 90s. So do the math how long we've worked together. She's practically translated all my books, not all, but we met each other in Texas where she lives and every time I work with her on a project, it's like going on a car trip with your best friend. So Aww. we really it is. We we laugh so much. And she's also just the best poet. And so it's great to have a poet who is your translator because they pay attention to the same thing poets pay attention to the syllable. And that's so great. And then she makes the line sound beautiful in Spanish. So I just want to shout out to Liliana Valenzuela and let readers know that, you know, even if they don't speak or read Spanish, it's nice to take a look and see. You know, it's also on audio, which I taped.
0: Oh, good. Oh, I'm going to listen. Did you yeah. record it in English and Spanish, or just English? Both? I
3: did for the very first time. I I did the Spanish for the very first time, it was a it was a scary because I had to practice, practice, practice. And we had two actors that did the letter portion with Martita and Paula, and I also had to practice like um, accents. You know, I had to practice Argentine Spanish and I had to practice Paula's, you know, way of speaking English. And I had to practice French words that I'd never said out loud in my life. And, you know, so it was a lot of of stress and it came out so beautiful. It's like a radio play. It's the right length that you could just, you know, put it, listen to it. And, and it's like going to a play. It's just the right length of what you're you're seated behind will withstand you know just about an hour and a little bit longer than an hour maybe an hour and a half really great great project and i just heard it a couple of weeks ago when i was in the car i had not heard it since i was in the studio and i was mesmerized so i encourage everyone out there to take a listen
0: excellent i can't wait i'm gonna go back and do that Thank you. Thanks for chatting with me today. This has been so amazing. And now I'm just like going to be eagerly waiting to see what else comes out of that. Well, I have a new book of poetry that I'm just reviewing the galleys
3: this week. Fall, it's called Woman Without Shame. And it's about 30 years since I've come out with a book of poetry, not because, you know, I don't write poetry. I write it all the time, but I don't publish it. And uh, I'm finally gathering a collection that I like. And so it'll be out next fall. Liliana Valenzuela is going to be working on translations. It'll be two volumes, one in English, one in Spanish. And I think if those of you who don't know, I'm a poet, uh, take a look. And those of you who remember, you have not seen poems like these in 30 years. So please follow me on instagram or on my website to see when where and when i'll be appearing
0: oh so exciting women without shame no woman singular woman Woman. without shame yeah woman without shame this is what happens when i try to take a note at the same time that i'm talking (laughs) anyway multitasking failure well i'm excited for that then fantastic without this on your memoir i look forward to getting a copy oh i'll send you one as soon as i have the final Uh, galley i will send you one Sign it to me, please. I'd like to have them personalized. I will sign you. I will sign it to you. I would be honored.
3: Thank you. Okay. That's a lot of years being by yourself to write something. A lot of hours. People don't realize that, right? Each book, every page is a lot of hours spent by yourself. So, felicidades, celebrate. (sighs) Eat a donut. Eat something you're not supposed to eat. Just celebrate. Okay.
0: (laughs) All right. You too. (laughs) Donuts are us. Okay. All right. right. Bye. Thank you. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing, and thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.